Hello and welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. We're based out of Shelton, Washington. The Spirit-led, affirming, beloved congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Growing closer to and more like Jesus for the sake of the world. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thanks for tuning in today. We're looking at this podcast and the broad topic of worship, what it looks like and why we do it. The Bible describes a myriad of worship styles and practices over the course of centuries. And you know, over the last 2,000 years, there have been a few innovations as well. We'll look at all of those in just a minute. But I want to start today with a question for you. I want you to think back when you were about 10 years old. When you were about 10, what did going to church look like? If you went to church, what was it like? If you didn't go to church, what was your impression of people who did go to church? <laughs> Take a minute to pause this podcast and talk about this question in your household or with a friend. Just take a couple minutes each, tell each other what you remember about worship when, or going to church when you were about 10, and then come back to the podcast. Now, if you're under 10 now, you can just say what church is for you now. Welcome back. How was that? What did you hear from each other? What did going to church look like when you were about 10 years old? In high school, my buddy Clyde, he'd tell the story of when he was younger. He, he, was, he and his family were sitting in the back row of the Catholic church in town, he with his mom and his two sisters. And one morning, while he's sitting there in the back row right there in church, he manages to wedge his elbow into the hymnal rack in the pew in front of him. And he panics and he starts crying and howling. And by the time they get him loose, his mother is so embarrassed that she decides never to take him to church again. <laughs> Another fellow I know, true story, he told me that for him growing up, going to church was punishment for misbehaving. That's it, young man, his mother would say. I'm taking you to church this Sunday. Ouch. I am, I am grateful. I am grateful that going to church for me was never nearly so traumatic as all that. In fact, going to church for me was a positive thing. It meant dressing up on Sunday mornings, driving to the church, walking together into a large room with stained glass windows and wooden benches and musty songbooks. After about an hour or so of sitting there, us kids were shuffled off to the Sunday school opening. We'd sing kids' songs and celebrate birthdays by bringing our pennies to the front of the stage to put into the little plastic church piggy bank thingy. We would then go into the classrooms with folding tables and chairs and flannel grams, and there we would read Bible stories and do arts and craft projects that we would then bring home and put on the refrigerator door. Really, for me, church has always been a place where I've felt a sense of belonging, of safety, of an extended family where everybody knows my name. It's a place where I was known, that I was cared for. People tracked me and, and, and held me accountable. I didn't want to let them down. So when I came to faith a few years ago and, and their, their motto was, welcome home, I felt right at home. For me growing up and for this church, hospitality, welcome, belonging, these are at the heart of our experience and hope for the church. Welcome home, we say. It's good to be home. 
In addition, there's something to be said simply for the habit and discipline of going to church, of weekly worship. After all, the third commandment reminds us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We go to church because God wants us to go to church. The Sabbath, the book of Leviticus tells us, the Sabbath is a day of rest and sacred assembly. So it's a day we take off from work. It's also a day that we gather with other people. Coming out of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites actually spent 40 years in the wilderness learning this new pattern of living, this Sabbath rhythm of work and then rest and worship. So why do we go to church? We worship because we're supposed to. And in so doing, we learn this Sabbath rhythm and we practice obedience to God's command. That worship is more than just a routine, more than a good habit, more than even something that we're supposed to do. We even benefit it. We benefit from it as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20 says this, Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to the Lord, the Bible says. Worship is good for us. It teaches us gratitude. It gives us an opportunity to express gratitude to God. It fills us with life-giving words and stories and ideas. Plus, singing and making music from the heart, the Bible says, is good for us. And it's good for the soul. Worship itself opens us up to a particular experience of the Holy Spirit. And me, I've got a whole catalog of songs and psalms and spiritual songs up here in my head and right here in my heart. Those songs and scriptures and sermons that I heard growing up both express and inform my worship and my faith. I remember Laura was a teenager in my first church. She told me once that she felt closest to God when she was singing. Well, right then and there, I decided we need to start a youth praise band. (laughs) And we did. See, worship is about belonging. It's about Sabbath-keeping. We also use language of how worship feeds us, nourishes us. In the Bible, there's a story about a prophet named Elijah. His life has been threatened by Queen Jezebel. He's exhausted. He's scared and discouraged. He plops down under a tree in the wilderness and tells God that he doesn't have anything left in the tank. The story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. Open up your Bibles and we'll take a look at that story. Elijah has just uh, um, had a confrontation with the prophets of Baal and, on Mount Carmel. Uh, it, it ended up in a big victory for, for uh, Elijah, but a mess afterwards. Verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's a death threat, folks. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had it, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush, exhausted, 
and fell asleep. Let me just pause right there for a second. Can you relate to Elijah? Have you ever been worn out at the end of your rope? Has life ever beaten you up? You gave it your best. You begin to make a difference, and the next thing you know, you're being attacked. You begin to move forward in life, and then the skeletons in your closet fall out and trip you up. You overcome an obstacle only to face a higher mountain. Sometimes the only prayer you can utter is that lament, Seriously, God? How much more can a person take? Well, we get back to the story. It says in the middle of verse 5, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And Elijah looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And, um, and it says, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He's at the end of his rope, and God comes and meets him where he's at. An angel cooks him a hot lunch, hands him a bottle of water. It's kind of ta- angel takeout and delivery. Elijah eats the meal, takes a nap, eats some more, and he is strengthened for the journey ahead. And worship does that sometimes. We go to church tired and hungry, and we come away nourished, fed, refreshed. Maybe it's the music or the sermon or the ritual of the liturgy or the hug of a friend or the chocolate chip cookie and cup of coffee. I've watched tired parents and grandparents doze off during my sermon, and I figure if you can't fall asleep at church, where can you fall asleep? I've had people tell me that something I said in my sermon was just what they needed to hear, and more than once, what they reported hearing was nothing that I said. And that's okay. Sometimes worship is a place where God shows up and feeds us with just what we need, just what the doctor ordered. The story of the angel feeding Elijah also ties into our practice of Holy Communion as well. Jesus says that he's the bread from heaven, the bread of life sent from God to feed and nourish God's people. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the manna from heaven, is the food for the journey. Jesus is also the one who meets us where we're at to comfort us and encourage us. This is the promise of the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's an image of a hand-delivered divine sack lunch, soul food. This is my body, he says, given for you. This is my blood, he says, shed for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Now, I mentioned that the Bible has a lot of worship styles in it. There's a lot of energy that's gone into worship wars and congregations over the last 50 years or so, but the fact is, today is in Bible days, all sorts of people worship in different ways at different seasons of life, because you know what? People are different, and life is pretty crazy, and things are always changing. Sometimes worship is supposed to be loud. Psalm 100 tells us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. 
<laughs> There's a story of King David. Once he gets caught up in an ecstatic worship experience and he strips down to his undies, he starts dancing in the street with all the commoners. His wife is aghast. She's the daughter of King Saul. She chastises him for acting so vulgar. But David doesn't bat an eye. I'll celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this. Who cares if I make a fool out of myself? And sometimes, as I say, worship is quiet. Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know that I am God. There are times to be sober, watchful, to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty, David says in Psalm 131. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. So which is it? How are we supposed to worship? Well, if we take the Bible at its word, then it appears that sometimes we're supposed to make some noise. And sometimes we need to quiet our hearts. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on how we're wired. It depends on the culture and the technologies available. It is possible, even expected and by design, for people to offer God true worship in a variety of styles and languages and forms maybe even in Spanish, maybe even via, maybe via Facebook and podcasts. One thing that is for certain is that the pandemic continues to challenge us to understand what it means to worship God and what it means for Faith Lutheran Church to offer worship moving forward. How podcasts and playlists have nourished our souls and how they leave us lacking. How we practice and teach songs and psalms and spiritual songs to one another, especially to our children. How we foster community while dealing with masks and social distancing and rising COVID cases. How we understand and offer Holy Communion. How we continue to offer worship styles that are both timeless and targeted for our context. I want to encourage you personally to keep up a life of regular and consistent worship. It's hard. Certainly the novelty of live streaming went out the door months ago. Technical difficulties make it easy to tune out and to turn off. But going to church still matters because we all still need a sense of belonging. We all still need the obedience and rhythm of Sabbath keeping. We need a library of songs and stories that feed the soul and guide our actions. We need ways to get recharged. We need ways to have our souls fed. We need times to, be, to nap in the presence of the holy. We need occasions for celebration and pauses of silence. Of course, finally, at the end of the day, worship is all about Jesus. Even if we don't get anything out of it, even if we don't like the style of music or the sermon or the way communion served or how early we have to get up in the morning or whether we have to wear masks or whether we're in a foreign country or if there's a pandemic going on or if you got a stomach bug keeping you home watching a shaky live stream on Facebook. It's all about Jesus. We worship God because God is worthy of our praise. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. This is what the Bible tells us then about worship. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all God's benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. God made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for you. My prayer for faith is that our worship will always give God glory and praise to Jesus, that we always find ways to feed and nourish one another, and that we find ways to always welcome people just as they are, no matter how tired or discouraged they are, no matter how noisy or quiet they are, no matter what church meant to to them when they were 10 years old. My prayer for you is that your worship will always give glory and praise to Jesus, that you may always be fed with the living bread from heaven, that you will always know that you are welcome in the presence of God just as you are, no matter how tired or discouraged you are, no matter how noisy or quiet your soul is, no matter what church meant to you when you were 10. A word of advice, though, try not to get your arms stuck in the hymnal rack. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Hope you'll check out our website, www.faithshelton.org, to learn more about the God of Jesus Christ, to get more connected to this broken and beautiful, flawed and forgiven community called Faith. While you're at it, sign up for our weekly emails, like us on Facebook, subscribe to the Faith Worship Cafe, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any way you listen to podcasts. Consider giving a financial donation to the Ministries of Faith as well. Thanks, Chaz and Emily, for your production work every week. And I'll leave you all with this benediction, with this good word. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.